I thought we could spend some time looking at the model prayer in Scripture, uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But as I said, it's the prayer for us, the one that we're to pray. And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer is actually recorded for us twice in the Gospels, once in Matthew's Gospel and then also in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 11. That doesn't mean that Jesus only taught this prayer twice. I'm pretty sure that he repeated it several times during his three and a half years of ministry. But those are the two recorded places in, Mark's, in Matthew's Gospel rather, and in Luke's Gospel. We're going to concentrate on the version in Matthew's Gospel. But I think that the two contexts for those prayers are very important, where the prayers are found in the Gospels. So in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke tells us that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gave that prayer. In other words, the context for prayer there was watching Jesus pray. Many of us struggle with prayer. Uh, does it work? Why does God answer some prayers and not others? How can God answer my prayer for clear weather tomorrow and the farmer's prayer that it, work, that it rains at the same time? And there are many other questions regarding prayer too. But I guess the chief answer to the question, why should I pray when I don't understand prayer, is simply this, that Jesus prayed. <laughs> and if Jesus found it necessary to pray, then how much more, uh, not I. And then the second context uh, for this prayer is here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, here Jesus gives us his model prayer within the Sermon on the Mount and within the specific context of how not to pray. Verses 5 and 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. It's a little ironic, isn't it, that Jesus teaches this model prayer within the context of not praying vain, repetitious, unthinking prayers, because sadly, the Lord's Prayer itself can be used in a shallow, vain, repetitive way. It's possible to rattle it off within 12 seconds without giving it much thought at all. And so I think it's important to recognize that this is a pattern for prayer that Jesus gives us here. In this prayer, Jesus isn't necessarily giving us the exact words that we need to use every time. He says this is how you should pray, not this is what you should pray. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is a scaffolding for prayer, and not the building itself. It gives us a number of hooks on which we can pin our, our prayers. It's really a series of headings that will launch us into further prayer. Well, with that brief introduction, let's dive straight in. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. The Lord Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you who inspired these words, Lord Jesus, you who spoke these words, Father, to you whom these words were addressed, we ask our triune God that you would come and apply these words deeply and personally to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to zoom in on that first phrase of the prayer, our Father in heaven. How many of you remember sitting in English classes and learning or going through that lesson on letter writing? Uh, I remember having to sit and write imaginary letters to imaginary people, and you had the, uh, you know, the formal letter to whom it may concern, dear sir, madam, and your address had to be on the one side and their address had to be on the other side. And then there was the informal letter, dear Pete. And there was a, a lot of time spent uh, on learning the correct way to address someone in writing. And nowadays, I believe children are taught how to compose formal WhatsApp messages. But in our day, it was letters. Well, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, many people think that this first line has to do with the correct form of address, the right etiquette or protocol for prayer, that this is the correct form of address, maybe even a formula that guarantees a favorable answer. But that's not the case. What this first line of the prayer does is to orientate us in prayer. I'm sure that many of you, like me, use Google Maps to help you when you're driving somewhere where you don't know the directions. Or maybe you've traveled with one of your children or grandchildren, that magical voice that comes out of your phone and says, in 800 meters, turn left. My, my one often says, when possible, make a U-turn. <laughs> But I find it really amusing when you switch on Google Maps and you start heading out in your car. One of the first things it often says to me is, head north. And I want to shout and say, well, if I knew where north was, I wouldn't be using Google Maps in the first place. If I was the kind of person who knew where north was all the time, I definitely wouldn't use Google Maps. Before we had Google Maps, we also had map maps. Remember those old pieces of paper that, you know, folded out and that you could then never fold back again exactly the way that, they, that they'd unfolded? And, and one of the first things you'd do then is that you would take that map and you would orientate yourself. You would find out where north was and then you'd figure out, okay, well, the Howard Center is over there and uh, that office block is over there, which means I must be over here. In fact, I remember seeing a cartoon once of a man standing in front of one of those great big billboard maps that you often get in nature reserves, and there's a little sign there saying, you are here, and then there was another little sign saying, you should be here. <laughs> the first phrase of this prayer orientates us in prayer. We begin with God, which is the most important place to start in prayer. In fact, as we continue through this prayer, you'll see that it's actually divided into two parts, and there are requests in each part. The first three requests have to do with God, and the second three have to do with us. 
And again, God comes first. And there's a very important reason for that. When we take the time and the trouble to sit quietly, to just focus on God and who he is, it dramatically changes the content of the rest of our prayer. And so within this opening phrase of the prayer, there are three things that Jesus wants us to remember as we focus our attention on God. And just to shake things up a little bit this morning, we'll, we'll look at these words in reverse order. Firstly, Jesus reminds us that our Father is in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus isn't speaking about the location of God, that he lives way away out there somewhere. No, Jesus is speaking about the otherness of God and the power of God. That God is just totally different to me and way beyond what I could ever think or imagine. And that's really important. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes had this advice about prayer. He said, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. God himself says in Isaiah chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth. How high exactly do you think that is? Is it from here to the sky? Uh, no, it's from here to the edge of the known universe, which isn't a fixed point because the universe is constantly expanding. In fact, if we wanted to spend a, send a space shuttle to the edge of the universe and we sent it at the speed of light, which we can't do because as you approach the speed of light, your body stretches out in both directions towards infinity. So don't let anyone ever tell you you're fat. Just say, I'm moving too fast. But if we could send a space shuttle towards the end edge of the universe at the speed of light, 670 million miles an hour, it would reach the edge of the universe after 15 billion years. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. God is a lot bigger than we think. By trying to wrap our minds around the vastness of the universe really is, it, it does hurt your brain after a while. Uh, scientists uh, say that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. Truly, in the words of the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And if we were to trade our telescopes for microscopes, the smallness of the universe is equally mind-bending. You know, each cell in your body contains a meter of DNA, uh, packed, scrunched up into a space in your nucleus that can truly be called infinitesimal. 
And the reason that so much DNA can fit, fit into a cell nucleus is that it is exquisitely thin. You would need 20 billion strands of DNA laid side by side to make the width of a human hair. And if you were to take the DNA from the 37 trillion cells in your body and form it into a single strand, it would stretch 16 billion kilometers to beyond Pluto. And Paul says of the Lord Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the one whom we approach in prayer. So why then should I pray? <laughs> Clearly God's plans must be more perfect than mine. Clearly he doesn't need my advice or even the information in my prayers, so why should I bother to tell him? Well, it's very interesting to see that Jesus didn't see the greatness of God as an obstacle to prayer. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus saw the greatness of God as an encouragement to pray. Because in the verse just before this, verse 8, Jesus says that the pagans think they're going to be heard because of their many words. And he goes on, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. So God's greatness and foreknowledge stand right against the encouragement to pray. God knows what you need before you ask him, so do pray. Why bother to pray? Well, because of the second word that we need to look at in this opening sentence. It's the word Father. Our Father in heaven. In the end, prayer is about relationship. I remember when my daughters were little and I would watch them play outside through my study window. And when they came running back inside to tell me what they'd been up to, Dad, Dad, guess what we did? I didn't stop them and say, don't worry, I know. I was watching you. I saw everything from the study window. No, I wanted to hear from them. I wanted to know what they'd been doing. I loved to hear from them. I wanted to hear their version of the events and what it had meant to them. In his book, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? Philip Yancey writes this. Why pray? Evidently, God likes to be asked. God certainly doesn't need our wisdom or our knowledge, nor even the information contained in our prayers, but by inviting us into the partnership of creation, God also invites us into relationship. God is love, said the Apostle John. God does not merely have love or feel love. God is love and cannot not love. As such, God yearns for relationship with the creatures made in his image. One pastor puts it this way. He says, prayer is not about informing an otherwise ignorant God or persuading an otherwise unwilling God, prayer is about developing a relationship with the Almighty. Now, sadly, this word father is a very difficult word for some people. There are folk here who don't know their earthly fathers. There are those who have emotionally absent fathers, those who have drunkard fathers, those who have abusive fathers. 
But I'm guessing that even if we have the very best of an earthly father, there's always a gap, isn't there? There's a gap between the father that we have and the father that we long for. And when Jesus calls us to address God as father, he was thinking of the best possible father, the father whom we long for, the father whom we truly have. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses looks back over the Israelites' trip from Egypt to the promised land, and he says this, You saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. But you know, there's a very, uh, very important other aspect to the word father. When Jesus said, call God Father, he wasn't speaking about the universal brotherhood of man and the universal fatherhood of God. No, we can only call God Father out of our relationship with Jesus. So interesting in the Gospels that whenever Jesus prayed, he prayed, my Father. He never prayed, our Father. When Jesus addressed God, he always prayed, my Father except once. Do you remember? It was from the cross. Jesus called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, as Jesus took my sin and your sin on himself, he was separated from his Father. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we may never, ever be forsaken by the Father. Jesus gave up his right to call God Father, a right which he had every right to from all eternity, so that we who have no right whatsoever to call God Father may now call him Father. It's only through Jesus that we get to address God as our Father. In 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle John marvels and he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Maybe we could change that around slightly to say, How great is the love God has lavished on us that we should call him Father. And so in one sense then, this isn't a prayer for anyone this is a prayer for disciples, for those who know and love Jesus, for those who follow him, for those whose lives have been changed by him, for those who've accepted his death for them and seek to live the rest of their lives for him. Of course, if you're not a believer this morning, the Lord's Prayer would be a really great place to begin but this isn't something that we mindlessly repeat. It comes out of relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, just that first word in the prayer, the word our. It's our Father in heaven. It's a very significant little word because if you look carefully through the prayer, you'll see that the word our appears four times, the word us appears four times, the word we appears once, and the words me, my, and I don't appear at all. Why does Jesus give us this word our? Is it because he expects that this prayer will be prayed by congregations in churches and cathedrals? I don't think so. Jesus has just said in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. 
He's not saying that we can't use the Lord's Prayer together, but he's clearly imagining that we'll pray it by ourselves. And yet Jesus sees that as we pray this prayer privately and individually, we're not praying this prayer alone. I'm still to pray our Father. The prayer always is prayed with the wider community in mind. You see, sadly, much of our modern world is very individualistic. So we speak about knowing Jesus as your personal savior. We talk about having a personal quiet time. Even some of our songs focus on on ourselves as individuals. But while God is indeed interested and knows us as individuals, the New Testament speaks about God building a people, a nation, a kingdom, a family. God's work is not about making a whole lot of new individuals. God is building a new people who will love and serve him and be an example to the world. That's reflected in one of the great benedictions that we have in the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, where John writes, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. We're part of a community, a family, and we have to pray with the rest of the family in mind. In fact, the measure of our spirituality is not in how much we pray, but in how much we love our fellow believers, and in particular, those fellow believers that we find it difficult to love. And that word, our, reminds us of that. The church down the road that is doing so well, God is their Father too, our Father A church that's struggling, God is their father too, our father. That person in church who doesn't like me, God is her father too, our father. That person who I find difficult and irritating, perhaps whose theology I don't agree with, who has a different personality to me, who I would like so much better if he were more like me, God is his father too, our father. That word our then orientates me on a horizontal level. I'm part of a community, a specific community known as the classic congregation, which is part of a much wider community known as the Pinus Baptist Church, which in turn is part of a much broader community, the Christian Church in South Africa, which in part, uh, which in turn is part of a worldwide body, the Church of Jesus Christ whose true number and identity are known by God alone. So may I encourage us then that when we pray this week, remember Jesus says, begins by saying, when you pray, that when we pray this week, that we would sit quietly for a moment and we would begin our prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege of prayer. Uh, We remember how uh, the priest in the Old Testament could only enter the most holy place once a year and only with the blood of an animal that had been sacrificed 
Just once a year, you could go behind the curtain. And yet within our own lives, at any moment, we can turn our thoughts and enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. What a privilege, Lord, to be able to pray. And we do ask, as the disciples asked, that you would teach us to pray, um, that you would help us and guide us even over the next few weeks, uh, but that we would um, just do the simple task of, of keeping, it, keeping it up, uh, keep, keeping it going and, and keeping it honest. Uh, we thank you for this privilege and we ask again that you'd continue to lead us as a church and as individuals. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.